0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. You are a kindergartner, first grader. Now is the time to go to Bible study. So, K4, K5, first grade. You guys are welcome to head on with the Bowen family. Excellent. You guys know what to do. For the rest of us, let me invite you to turn to the letter of Jude in the New Testament right before the book of Revelation. So, the next to the last book in the Bible, it's just a couple pages. So, turn there. We're actually going to finish off uh, this book of the Bible today as we conclude our series in Jude. As we do so, I'm going to throw the the, the pro-presenter guy back there a a wrench. I'm actually going to read the whole book. It's a short book, but as we conclude, and we're going to focus on verse 24 and 25 this morning, but I kind of want to give us the whole context of the book as we focus on this wonderful doxology at the end of Jude. And so let's start in the very first verse, and we'll read to verse 25, but our sermon text for this morning is those last two verses, 24 and 25. So let's read, starting in Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden wreaths at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we've studied this letter... Lord, we've seen the wonderful, blessed truth that, Lord, that in Christ Jesus, we are beloved in the Father. or that we are kept for Jesus. But Lord, as we've seen these wonderful promises of the gospel for those who trust you and follow you and who contend for the faith, Lord, we've also seen the strong warning of those who abandon the faith, who pervert the gospel, who drift into a life of sensuality. Lord, as Jude has shown us, the prophetic word clearly condemns them. And so, Father, we pray that we would heed Jude's admonition from this letter to not just contend for the truthfulness of the gospel, once for all delivered, but, Lord, that we would be committed to keeping ourselves in your love, faithfully following Jesus until our dying breath or until you come again. But, Father, as we think about this weighty call and admonishment from Jude, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are a God who is able to do this work on our behalf. And so, Father, we pray that as we study your word, that it would be proclaimed clearly, Lord, that your spirit would use it to encourage and to strengthen the faith of those who are here, and, Lord, to draw to faith those who are lost and in their sins. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So the, the other day I was sitting on the porch. And I tried to do this. It doesn't always work so well. But I try to sit on the porch and read while the kids go out and, and play in the yard. But there's always lots of interruptions of cries for help. And so the other day I was, I was out there trying to read on the porch. And the older kids were, were playing in the yard. And my, my oldest son, Jude, has become quite the, the tree climber. So he can go. We got a couple trees in the yard that he, he's gotten quite good at just kind of shooting up and jumping out of. I mean, he's on full on boyhood now. Like, he just does those things with, with no help at all. But my four year old daughter, Ellie Grace, sees her brother doing all these things, climbing trees, and it looks pretty cool, looks pretty fun. And so she'll go and she'll try to start climbing the tree as well. Often she'll find some toy in the yard to stand upon to help her get started. But, but she'll, she'll go and start climbing the tree. But, but she's getting better at it. She's getting good at, at getting started up the tree. But after she usually gets up just one branch, a fear overtakes her and seizes her, this fear of falling. And so she's stuck on this one branch about three feet up in the air, and she's absolutely paralyzed. Because she's too timid to reach up and grab the next branch. She feels too insecure. At the same time, she's fearful of jumping down because she feels like she's too high. She could hurt herself. And so she's stuck. And before long, the inevitable cry for help comes as I run over, put my book down, and grab her securely out of a tree. You see, I think when it comes to the Christian life, we are a lot like toddlers trying to climb trees. We aspire to ascend to heaven, right? To to complete our heavenward journey, this pilgrimage that the Lord has set us on by his grace. But as we live the Christian life, sometimes we can find that that fear can can overtake us, even overpower us and, and, and paralyze us because with terror, we fear our failure. We fear that we might be toppling down out of that tree to our own demise. And before long, all we can do is cry out to our Heavenly Father for help and for the safety and security of His arms. You see, we have heard from Jude this admonishment to keep ourselves in the love of God. This is what we talked about last week. If you were here, perhaps, as you think about that command, that that admonishment, that charge to, to keep myself In the the love of God, I I can barely keep keep myself out of bed in the morning, right? I mean, it's hard enough just living day by day, let alone keeping myself in the love of God. As you think about that, maybe that makes you a little anxious, a little scared, a little fearful. Because what what if I fail? What if I fall? And Jude, of course, anticipating such questions in light of his bold admonishment and warning in this letter, He concludes with a doxology, a doxology of prayer, reminding us of the certainty and safety of God's love, who by his power, by God's power, keeps us from stumbling. So as we close out this, this letter of Jude, we're going to look at verse 24 through 25, this doxology, and we see that Jude concludes this letter of warning with the incredible promise and power of God who will keep us from falling away for his glory and for our joy. And so here's the sermon summary in a sentence. God is able to bring us into glory. God is able to bring us into glory. He can do it. He does the work. So let's first see how God keeps us from stumbling. Or He keeps us from stumbling. So, so Jude begins this, this praise and prayer by turning our attention to God. That's where he directs our, our focus, our gaze. Now to him. To him. it's him isn't it you, it's not me. This is this is God that Jude is directing our attention towards. And I think even just that little act there of Jude turning our attention to God is instructive, isn't it? Because in the midst of this turmoil and this spiritual danger that Jude is, is warning of and writing to the church as there was in, in Jude's audience day, and in the midst of this turmoil and spiritual danger, Jude is telling us that what we have to do is turn our attention To God, now to Him. You see, like Peter, we must not gaze upon the tumult of the waves in the midst of our trials, but we look to the Savior who beckons us in the midst of the storm. You see, in all of Jude's concerns about these false teachers and and those who are being enticed by, by this perversion of the gospel, he wants to leave the church. He wants to leave these saints with the reminder of God's promise and power. You see, what the church needed most was a vision of how God will keep them safe. Now to him. When affliction and danger comes to us, we have to remember that as well. Like when, when problems come into our life, when spiritual danger and suffering and sickness and disease and grief and all that comes into our life, and it certainly will in different moments and different seasons. In those moments, we just don't need counsel or advice or warning. We don't need a, a PowerPoint presentation. We don't need a we don't need a, a strategic plan or action items of how to get through this current trial. We need God. We need God. In such times of testing, we must help each other and learn to affix our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who is able to keep us. We are powerless, but God possesses all strength. We are frail, but God is our defense. We tremble before our foes and terror and anxiety, but God is a shelter for his saints. You see, on the mountain climb of faith, yes, the faith journey is a lot like climbing a mountain. God is the anchor that belays our weary faith. You see, mountain climbing can be a, a dangerous activity, so I don't do it. But some people do, right? Some people, some people do it. I'm not sure why, but they they like to climb outdoors and dangle dangerously thousands of feet, some of them in the air, climbing on a cliff with your hands and feet. That does not sound like a good time to me, but to some it does. But, But as you think through that dangerous climbing of mountains that people do, you know, it's very dangerous. And mountain climbers are very intentional about safety. And making sure things are done safely. And so there's this whole system, if you get into the mountain climbing world, right? This whole system of how to protect one another from falling. This system called belaying one another. You've heard that word belay before. It's a mountain climbing term. And so through this system of ropes, the climber is anchored by the counterweight of the person who is on belay. So there's one person who's who's kind of anchoring down, holding the weight of the person as a counterweight. And so if the climber is going up the mountain and the climber loses their grip, instead of plummeting to their deaths, they are kept from falling by the person who is on belay. When it comes to the, the treacherous climb to glory that we are all on in faith, God is on belay for us. As we climb, as we try to keep ourselves in the love of God, as we try to follow Jesus, his spirit empowers us and strengthens us to actually make the climb in the first place, but the weight of God's power keeps us from plummeting to our deaths. He is our anchor when our grip slips, when we take that wrong step, or when we just simply need rest from the climb. God is our anchor not only keeps us from falling, yes, he does that, praise the Lord, but if necessary, he'll start pulling us up the mountain on the other side of the rope. This is who God is. This is how gracious and powerful he is in protecting us and preserving us for his glory. Because the, the scriptures repeatedly remind us these wonderful promising truths about how God gives strength to his children. Isaiah forty verse twenty nine. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Psalm eighty sixty eight verse thirty five. The God of Israel, He is the one who gives power and strength to His people. Or Psalm one forty seven verse five. Great is our Lord. Just sung that right. Great is our Lord. And abundant in power, abundant. You see, as we walk on this perilous journey of faith, we have to remind ourselves, we have to remember that God is the one who keeps us from stumbling. That He is the one who is able to do it. He does that work. And as we think about the Christian life, I mean, just look at your own life for a second. Aren't there so many obstacles to trip over? Aren't there so many things that could cause you to just plummet to your own destruction? Like it's a dangerous journey, isn't it? We face worldly opposition in the Christian life. The mocking jeers of scoffers who attack us or perhaps persecute us or kill us. We face demonic forces. The kingdom of darkness is always lurking. And they hate God and they hate God. God's people. And so they tempt and prowl and deceive and lie. We face this fallen world. It's the reality of living in this broken world. There are so many sorrows, so many hardships, so many diseases, so much grief that can befall us in this life to cause us to question God's goodness or his power. And of course we face, as Jude mentions here, the the sneaky wolves who can infiltrate the church to devour us with false teaching. And worst of all, out of all these perils that we face across our Christian journey, worst of all, we face our own hearts, our own hearts that are fickle and so often cold in love for the Lord and so easily enticed by sin. It's a dangerous journey. It's a dangerous climb. Because we face the temptation to our own pride, our own overindulgence, our own sensuality, our own sense of control, our apathy, our despair, our greed. There's so much that we will encounter as we try to follow Jesus and keep ourselves in the love of God. And and what danger we'll, we'll come across? How many obstacles lie between you and glory trying to trip you and kill you along the way? And who will be the one who will be the one to keep me safe, to keep you safe through life's weary way? Who has the the wisdom to guide us? Who has the the power to strengthen me when I feel like I have no strength left? And praise the Lord that my continuance in the faith is not dependent on my own cunning or skill or power, Mm -hmm. because it would have been dried up a long time ago. My soul will be safe. My security is certain because it is God who keeps me from stumbling. And just as he does that for me, he does that for all who are his children. He does that for you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is by God's power, not my own, that my eternity is secure. And if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if he is the treasure of our heart, then you can find comfort in these precious promises that Jude's expounding for us this morning, that God is able to keep you from stumbling. But secondly, Jude tells us that God presents us blameless. God presents us blameless. You see, Jude not only tells us that God will keep us safe, but he also tells us where God is bringing us. He shows us what's going to to happen when we finally climb up that mountain, right? When we finally get to the end of the Christian race. God keeps us from stumbling so that one day we can stand blameless before him in the presence of his glory With great joy. Look at what Jude says in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and what is God going to do? He's going to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With great joy. There's a lot to unpack here in this this promise that, that God has given us in his word. We see that God presents us He presents us. He puts us forward. And notice that God is the one doing the action here, right? God is the one doing the presenting. We're not presenting ourselves before his glory. But God is presenting us. And as God brings us through the Christian life without stumbling, God will bring us to the end, and he will present us before his presence. Heaven awaits us, and it will be God who will present us there. We see, yes, God will present us blameless. Isn't that good news? That when we stand before him, when we finally complete this race of faith, we will stand before God and we will be blameless. In heaven, the work of God's grace, which has saved us and now is sanctifying us, that work will be complete that he who began this good work in you and me, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In heaven, the declared righteousness of Jesus that we receive on the basis of faith will become our actual righteousness. By faith in Jesus, you are justified. What that means is that God credits the, the righteousness of Jesus to those who have faith in Jesus. And at faith, we are declared righteous before God. It's a declarative judicial action. We are made right. We are justified before God at the moment of our faith. But but even after we come to know Jesus, we are righteous before God because we have Jesus' righteousness, not our own. But we're still sinners. We still struggle. We still are weak and at times disobedient. And over the course of our Christian lives, the journey is is one of putting off the the old man, the old woman, the old habits, the old desires of the flesh and putting on the righteousness of God that, that he has given to us by Jesus. And so we put to death our sin and we grow in holiness by God's grace. But yet those whom God has justified, as Paul will tell us in Romans 8, he will glorify. Those whom God has justified, he will glorify. So, when, when God presents us before his presence, the, the work of grace will then be complete. We will be glorified. We will stand blameless before him, cloaked in a righteousness that is not our own. You see, in God's holy presence, these wretched hands of mine are not welcomed. God is holy. By his holiness, he consumes anything or anyone who defiles his presence. And we spent a summer walking through the book of Leviticus together as a church. We've seen this, the fiercity of God's holiness. But yet, Jude tells us that because of God's work, because of Jesus, because of what God is doing in the gospel, because of Christ, Jesus, we will be welcomed before God's glory. We will be blameless before the presence of his glory. One of the big questions that Leviticus left us with, if we think back to that that series, is who will stand before the Lord? Who will stand before the Lord? And the answer is we will, if we are clothed in the blameless righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel is doing. He's saving us. He's sanctifying us. He's gonna bring us and present us before his presence and glory. And what a marvelous truth to remember, particularly in those moments in your life, maybe right now, those moments when you are besieged by the reality of your own sinfulness. Have you had days in the Christian life where you are just so distraught over your own wretchedness still lurking in your hearts? As you follow Jesus today, and as you should read Jude's words, that if you're in Christ Jesus, you're going to be presented blameless before God. You might look at your life right now and say, well, I've got a long ways to go. I'm certainly not blameless. Perhaps you're struggling with your flesh. Perhaps you are, are, are fighting a tiring and exhausting battle against recurring temptations that you face to sin. Maybe you're losing it right now and you're just struggling and you're trying to repent, but, but fighting sin is hard. But your failure just is always before you. You always see. You're always aware of it. And because of your, your, your struggle, you, you're having seeds of doubts in your mind. But remember the good news. That one day, God will present you blameless. You won't present yourself blameless, but God is going to do this, right? He's going to present you before his presence and you will be blameless before his sight. All of this through his working and the righteousness that God has given you in Jesus Christ. This is his gift. You see, when we think about that great day when, when God keeps us and then presents us before his presence, God isn't going to do that begrudgingly. We're out of obligation. No, our presentation blameless before God, God will do with great joy. With great joy. You see, God will delight to show you off, to present you before his heavenly host just what his grace can do. If you're like me, God's grace has done quite a bit, and he will continue to do a lot more. And as God presents us, He will, he will show what His power, what His grace can do, how He, by His power and grace, can take broken and guilty sinners like us and then make us blameless, fit for His presence. This is what the gospel does. And He will present us with great joy like a proud Father. And He will delight in us as we in Him, for we are beloved in the Father. So when you feel wretched and worthless, remember that if you're in Jesus, God is able to present you blameless before his glory with great joy. That leads thirdly to God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of worship. So God is, is able to keep us. He's able to present us blameless. But yet the great work of redemption in our lives is not really about us, is it? It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's not why we're here this morning, right? That as we think about this great work of redemption, how God is saving and keeping and preserving and presenting us blameless, this whole work of grace in our lives has God's glory as its ultimate aim. In response to God's wondrous work, look at what Jude does. As he turns to verse 25, he moves to praise and he invites us to do the same. As we think about all who God is, all that he's done, all that he's, he's done in our lives and saving us and protecting us and preserving us and keeping us and presenting us blameless, the only fitting response is worship, is worship. So in verse 25, Jude expounds upon the identity of God. Notice how he's just keeping our focus on the Lord. He is, Jude says, the only, only God, the one true. And living God, the Maker of the cosmos, right? The, the the author of life, the architect of the glorious plan of redemption. This one God, this only God, deserves exclusive praise from His people. This only God, Jude says, is our Savior, our Savior. To the only God, our Savior, and He has done this through Jesus Christ. So our God is a Savior God. God has chosen to bring glory to his own name by redeeming his church. So the Father sent his Son into the world in order to save the world through him, through Jesus. So God the Son came. He became and fleshed. He dwelt among us, but God's purpose Was for Jesus to be the sin bearer, to save us from our sins, to be our Savior. So Christ died in our place upon the cross, and then the Father victoriously raised him from the dead. And in Christ's triumphant victory and the reality of the resurrection, we have the certainty that anyone who would repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved from their sins. And they will have the righteous reward of Jesus credited to their accounts. So this morning, do you know? Do you know God as Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you called out to him? Have you trusted in Jesus? See, these glorious promises that we're talking about this morning are for God's people who have humbled themselves have repented and turned from their sins who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus, I invite you today to come and know this God who is the Savior. You see, but this Jesus is not only our Savior, the text does say that, but he is also our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our Master, He is the one to whom we submit our lives. He is the king to whose kingdom we have pledged our ultimate allegiance, a kingdom without end. And to this God, to this God, Jude ascribes worship to him, doesn't he? To him be glory and majesty, dominion and authority. All praise and worth, all honor and glory, Judas telling us it belongs to our God. He is worthy of our worship. Every voice of praise, every song in our hearts ought to be directed to this God, our only God, our Savior God who has saved us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And look at these attributes that Jude ascribes to our our God, that he is glorious. May he be glorious, distinct in his transcendence, undefiled in his goodness, and perfect in every attribute which he possesses. He is majestic. Majestic. This is the, the holy king, cloaked in the righteous robes, who rules with wisdom and justice. This is the God who has dominion. Everything belongs to him. He is the the sovereign one whose reign extends throughout all of the cosmos, and he has authority. All power belongs to him, that God will execute his will. He will achieve his purpose as he providentially works throughout human history to bring glory to himself as he redeems the church. As those beloved in God, we cherish God for his greatness. We sing, great are you, Lord. He is big. He is glorious. He is wonderful. He is sovereign. He is good. And what a beautiful God this is. What a blessed privilege we have to behold him, to enjoy him, to cherish him. And so may our souls long to know more of this God. May our hearts this morning swell up with yearning and desire to see our God exalted and praised throughout the earth. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the rocks will cry out if you and I don't. May we ascribe to him the worship he is worthy of. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And then look at what Jesus says. Jude says that this this glory will be ascribed to God. This this song will ring throughout eternity. And it has rung throughout eternity. Look at what Jude says. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You see, from eternity past, before time existed, God did. He was and he is and he is to come. He is the eternal God. From before the very foundations of the earth, God is overflowed in glory and the sweet communion of Trinity. From the present, right now, in this moment, may we, Ascribe to God the glory that he deserves. May we worship the Lord and live for his name's sake. And and may our lives be like a, a drink offering poured out in love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ as an act of worship. As Paul says, may we live like a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. May we take each day, church, starting with today. May we live with God's glory as our chief priority in our lives. So from eternity past to now, to the present, to forever to come, may God be praised. May the worship of the church ascend without ceasing as we praise our Savior God with the saints throughout the ages and the new heavens and the new earth. You see, as we respond to Judas, we think of what Judas calling us to do, may we join with him in saying amen. What does that mean? It means yes. May it be so. May we respond this morning with a resounding amen as we ascribe worship to the Lord. For by God's grace and power, he will keep us from stumbling. He will present us blameless before his throne with great joy. And as we consider all that God has done for us and what he will do according to the certainty of his glorious promise that we have by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, how can we not praise him this morning? Let's pray. Oh, blessed God. May you receive the worship that you deserve this morning. For you are the God who will keep us from stumbling. And Father, we see how many dangers toil and lurk before us. Lord, we see so many pitfalls, so many things that could trip us up, so many things that could cause us to plummet to our own destruction. Lord, most of all, our own sinful, wicked hearts. But Lord, you have promised you will keep us safe. You will keep us secure. Lord, that you will help us to cross the finish line of faith. And Lord, that when we get to heaven, you will present us blameless before your presence with great joy. And Father, you will complete this work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Father, as we think collectively about your work of grace and the gospel, as we think about how we who are such sinners and rebels and traitors, can be made not just your friends, but your children, all through the blood of Jesus. Father, we are humbled. We are overwhelmed. And Lord, we give you praise. God, we cannot fathom your wisdom and your power and your love. And Lord, we are so amazed that you have given it to us. Lord, that you have set your love on us and that you have set your power to protect us so that we might be kept blameless before your sight. So, Father, we want to give our praise to you this morning as our only God, as our Savior, the one who has saved our souls from hell itself. And, Father, we want to ascribe to you, and to Jesus Christ, your Son, the worth that he is deserved. Lord, may he be glorified. May you be held high, majestic as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, may you exercise your dominion upon the earth. And as you Exert your authority upon your creation and your coming kingdom. May all see and declare that you are worthy to be praised. Or may every knee bow, may every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is the King, that he is worthy of all affections that our hearts can muster and even more. And so, Father, we pray that throughout all time, or that you would be held exalted. That you would continue to work your addictive plan in this world, in our hearts, in such a way that we would see that, that our salvation is not about us, but Lord, it is about you and your glory. As you redeem us and save us and bless us, so that we might praise you and worship you and to ascribe to you the honor that you are worthy of. Lord, you are wonderful. You are magnificent. You are glorious. Father, we give our praise this morning. The weak songs in our heart, the loves that are cool and faint this morning. Lord, we pray that you would ignite within us a passion for your glory, a zeal for your fame. And Lord, that as our hearts are provoked by your spirit, may we worship May we worship you, our God, be all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.